it's family month and we are starting a new series that we're calling Family Matters. Everybody say Family Matters. Family Matters. Family Matters. It matters to God and it should matter to us. And we're going to be talking about the matters of the family as well. So kind of a dual meeting here in this series that we'll be spanning our Wednesdays and our Sundays over this family month. And let me just say at the outset of this month that I feel uh, strongly this month is going to be a, a, a pivotal month spiritually for our church family. This is going to be a pivotal month spiritually. I would strongly urge you to to either be at every service and can't be at them. I know some sicknesses are going around and such. Uh, watch them online. Catch up with them on the podcast. Uh, this is going to be a pivotal month for our church. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. The younger men as brethren, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity, is Paul's instructions to Timothy. We're talking about building Christ-centered homes, and tonight specifically, we're talking about God's blueprint for family. God's blueprint for family. How many know that we need healthy families? Outside of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your family is either going to be a strong anchor for you, it's going to be a source of strength and a source of blessing, or your family is, has the potential as well to be a source of struggle that causes you to drift and, tr- and causes you to strive in life and causes you to have difficulties in life life. We know that the best advice on any topic, but certainly the best advice on family is found in the Bible. And whether you have a family in the traditional sense, or say you maybe you uh, don't have the family that you would hope to have in the traditional sense, or maybe as we'll talk about in just a few minutes, and we'll talk about also on Sunday, uh, maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I'm kind of just by myself, don't really have a lot family uh, around, wherever you fit in the topic of family, the best advice about family is found in the Bible, and the greatest comfort about family is found in the Bible. The greatest encouragement is found in the Bible. We know that if done right, according to the Bible, that family, God-centered families are an anchor that can keep culture from drifting too far from God. There is a great need in the church and there is a great need in our world for strong biblical families. Biblical families provide society with a a frame of reference for all the rest of the world to fit the way God designed it. The reality is that when our homes are operating by biblical whether you are in a home by yourself or you are in a home of 15 kids and a husband, a wife, and, and 13 dogs and cats. Whatever your home demographic is, our homes are, God bless that person and that family, our homes are going to operate best when we are operating them by biblical principles because then biblical blessings will follow. Now, the biblical model for family is the foundation of a sustainable and healthy society. It's the foundation for the church as the family of God. Now, there's a lot going on in our world that is contrary to the biblical idea and values of family. This, This current cultural experiment, I'll I call it that, that we're in to to redefine the family. It is it, it's a mess. It's unprecedented and it's pre-programmed for failure. It cannot work. 
Because family is God's idea, it's God's creation, it's God's institution, and so we cannot undo what God has created. How foolish and how ignorant of us to try to recreate something that he created and set in perfect order. I'll also tell you that if the trends that we are seeing in society are not reversed, the effects, the, the cumulative effects of decades of cohabitating couples, divorce, and same-sex marriage on our culture will absolutely be devastating, will have irreversible effects on our nation. And we're seeing it right before our eyes. Now, when you talk about family, unfortunately, and, and just talking about family, a lot of people get uncomfortable, which is just so radical to me because family is the original construct of God's word. It's God's idea. But it shows how far we have drifted and how much we have accepted. Every bit of our life, we're fallen, right? We're all fallen and sin. Every one of us is sinners. Every single one of us is sinners since the Garden of Eden. And so our entire life with Christ, you say, Pastor, we talk about family. I feel a little awkward because I feel like I've lived a little less than ideal family life. Every part of our life in Christ is trying to climb the ladder, trying to get back to the ideal that he created. And sometimes, I said Sunday, sometimes we slip and fall off that ladder, but we don't get up. We get up and we keep trying to climb. We get up and we keep moving in the direction that God has ordained for us. Now, so if you're here tonight and you're and you're here this month, and you're not part of a typical family unit, don't check out in this lesson, and don't mentally check out this month, because the reality is the church has always consisted of family members in the church, we're going to talk more about that Sunday, that are not part of a traditional home life. Now, the traditional home, we know, is one where husband and wife are committed to one marriage to each other for life, and the result of that union produces children, and the result of that home honors God and grows up and trains in the fear of God and, and is a model to show God to the broken world. However, God's people all the way back to the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament, there were plenty of people in God's family that are anything but traditional. And look around. There's plenty of people in God's family today that are anything but traditional. What does that mean? That means that since the garden, this idea of family has been broken and shattered. But we don't throw our hands up and say, oh, well, give up, right? The first time your child disobeys you and does something against your house rules, do you just throw your hands up and put them out on the street and quit parenting them? No. We, we, we keep teaching. We keep training. We keep working with them. And aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father does that for us? Family, because sin has so broken our world and sickness has so broken our world, there, there, is, there is all different types of representations of family in the Bible and in our modern day church. And, 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 and many of uh, these that I'm going to mention to you, they're all included in the family of God. Widows and widowers are not left out in the family of God. Look at Noemi and, and, and Ruth and, and Abraham and Anna uh, of the New Testament. Orphans are not let out. I, I thank God that, that, that no, no child is, is left out. Look at Esther. In fact, the Bible says this is what pure religion is all about, how we handle people like that according to James. It's being visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep them unspotted from the world. That's the job of the church. That's where the family of God steps in and steps up and shines. There's single 
saints in the Bible, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, several, several widows in the Bible, like Mordecai, who raised Esther. There's the family of God includes adults that are still single or by choice or by circumstance. Of course, Jesus, Paul, two of the most classic examples. Singleness uh, in, in some cases was even preferred. Now, I'll add to that in 1 Corinthians, uh, the idea of singleness in the Bible and single adultness, if you will, is adultness, is that a word? Uh, I just might have made that up. But, but according to the Apostle Paul, it was not just so I didn't have to share my money with anybody, and it was not just so I didn't have to any, have anybody uh, you know, squeeze the toothpaste in the middle when I want it squeezed at the end. That was not the reason for singleness. It was not a matter of preference. Paul said it was that I could care for the the things that belong to the Lord. In other words, I could devote my entire life to the kingdom and, and not to any relationships in this earth. The family of God included married couples that had no children, Abraham and Sarah originally, and, and Elkanah and Hannah originally, and Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, the family of God includes adopted children like Esther and Moses, who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. The family of God includes those that are products of divorce. Malachi speaks of that. I, your pastor is a product of, of, of divorce and, and, and a very broken home. And many of you know my testimony. So I come from a very broken home. I come uh, from a home never knowing who my real dad was. And I come from a home where my mother and my stepfather were divorced by the time I was 12 years old and had only been married for nine years. And, and, and so I, I understand what broken families are and, and what society and sin has done to the family unit. It's, and so we as the church, I call us, and not just this month, but as a matter of practice, that we not only have to be mindful, but we have to support everyone, not only those that are in a traditional family, but anyone and everyone is a vital member of the family of God. And I'm going to talk more about that, as I said, Sunday, the, the greatest family of all. The greatest family of all. And, and if you're a part of the kingdom of God, and, and, and I'm sorry if this offends you or crosses swords with you, you have every right to be wrong. Uh, if you're a part of the family of God, your family name is not the greatest family in your life. The family of God ought to be the greatest family in your life. If you're a part of the family of God, the Levine family is not of priority to me, uh, uh, the family of God. Now, my family is a part of the family of God, but it's not the Barrage's last name or the Lindsay last name or the Williams last name or the Shelby last name or the Randall last name or the Rubinate or the Medina or the Heinbo last name, but it is the family of God that we are bought together with his blood by his spirit. We are his kids. We're joint heirs with him. That's the greatest family on earth. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit on Sunday's message, but let me get back to tonight's lesson. The Bible, the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. The Bible is God's blueprint for all family matters, for all matters of the family. Now, the danger in our culture is that sin has redefined this, and, and, and men have redefined this, and we have redefined sin and, and, and relabeled it and, and, and polluted the construct of family and just defined it as alternative choices and lifestyles. We live in a culture that condones what God condemns. Now, hear me, hear me tonight. Uh, we're, we got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm going to say a lot of things here, so uh, just, just hear me to the end. People and, and pagan mindsets in our, in our world have, have sought to validate sinners and vilify saints. Now, you say, Pastor, you said we're all sinners. We are all sinners. But there's something drastically different to somebody who has thumbed their nose at God and says, I'll do it my way, and that's a bunch of baloney. And I'm going to do my thing. 
and someone who says, man, I, I tripped, I stumbled, I fell, I made a mistake, but I'm gonna get back up and I'm gonna keep walking. I'm gonna get back up and I'm gonna get back on that ladder and keep climbing. I'm gonna get back up. And, and I thank God that I'm with a bunch of grace-minded people here tonight. And I thank God that I'm with a bunch of grace-believing and grace-experiencing people here tonight that every one of us is here because we got back up on the ladder, because we didn't stay down. Every one of us is here. There's nobody in this room, I don't believe, uh, that, that's thumbed their nose at God and said, man, God's way doesn't matter. You wouldn't take time out of your Wednesday night to come to church if you didn't think God's ways matter. Now, the church cannot justify sin. The church doesn't excuse sin. Uh, we don't villainize sinners, though, either. Hello? We understand the blood of Jesus can cover any mistake, and the blood of Jesus can cover his mistake or her mistake, just like it covers your mistake and my mistake. He's no respecter of persons, and there is no sin he won't forgive, and there is not lifestyle that he cannot deliver and set free out of. We teach the Bible. We preach the Bible, and I understand in today's culture, in 2023, I understand simply preaching and teaching the Bible, there will be people who don't want to listen to you. And I understand preaching and teaching the Bible, there are people who are characterized the Bible as hate speech. I have friends who pastor churches in parts of the world that they can get thrown in jail, and they, they say the things that I'm going to say tonight, but they're in danger of jail time, and the closer we march to the rapture, the more danger uh, that becomes. But we're not going to back down. We're not going to quit preaching the Bible. We're going to do it just like D. Jesus did, with a measure of truth and grace, with, with a measure of love and truth. We're going to do it just like Jesus did, but, but there are some people that just because we teach the Bible and what it says would qualify that as hate speech. Let me tell you, there's another hate that we as the church have to be aware of, and that's hate silence. You've heard of hate speech? The church better not be guilty of hate silence. What's hate silence? That's where we despise the sin so much, we just distance ourselves and don't say anything about it. We better have the courage. We better be wise as a serpent and gentle and harmless as a dove. We better have the courage and the word and the backbone to stand for truth. I'm not talking about being ugly and ignorant. I'm not talking about going to a high school and getting up on a cafeteria table and telling everybody they're going to hell. Uh, you get in trouble for that. I hope you do. You deserve to get in trouble for that. Okay? That's not how we do it. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not how we're going to do it. But, but, but we have to be willing to speak the truth, and we have to speak the truth in love. We cannot just be quiet and let people be lost. We don't hate sinners. We do despise sin. In fact, we love sinners enough to call them to repent. Do you realize that our world, the mentality in our world is absolutely so absurd. They are careening off a cliff at an alarming pace. The people who love humanity are not the people encouraging five-year-olds to watch drag shows. The people who love humanity are the church of the living God that says, hey, there is a God that can heal every broken area in your heart and can answer every question and can clear up every confusion. There is a God that can help give you peace because everything you're doing, you ain't finding peace there. You may pretend like it, you may strut like it, but there ain't peace there. The church, nor does culture, have the authority to redefine the family. We don't have the authority to redefine marriage. And for the record, we're not seeking to redefine it here. We're not trying, it, it's not on the negotiating table, not as far as I'm concerned and not as far as this church is concerned. We have a responsibility to show the love of Jesus Christ to everybody who just like us are undeserving of God's love. We got to be careful because while we abhor the sin that they may be in, we have to show the love of Jesus 
Because without the love of Jesus, I wouldn't be here tonight. You wouldn't be here tonight. We have to show the love of Jesus. And we have the honor and the high calling of demonstrating true religion so that lost people can find a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we have the overwhelming joy of sharing the gospel with whosoever will because he put nobody off limits. He's, he never said, don't go to that group or, or that group's too far gone. Now, let's talk about God's idea for family. I'm going to cover a lot of ground here tonight. God made man in his image. Man is made in the image of God according to Genesis 1:27. He made man in his own image and in the image of God created them. Male and female created he them. God made woman to be a complement or a helpmeet for Adam. The Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord said it's not good that man should be alone. Ladies, don't you know, we get into stuff when we're by ourselves. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Didn't say I'm going to make a helper that is his doormat. Didn't make a, say I'm going to make a helper that he's going to walk on or trot on. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. God gave Adam and Eve the commission then to be fruitful and multiply. According to chapter 1 and verse 28, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. There is a miracle of God's creative power involved in the creating of new life. And God gave his power of creation to the marriage unit for procreation. And we know no matter what culture says, it takes a man and a woman to make a child. I understand there's alternatives to how that goes down, but it still takes a man and a woman to produce a child. Men cannot have babies. God's way, <laughs> still settled. You know, you can, I, I, you, can, you can say that I've got purple pants on if you want to. You can say I've got pink pants. You can say I've got polka dot pants. And you're entitled to your opinion. And you're entitled to be right or you're entitled to be wrong. But if you say I got pink pants on, that may be your opinion, but your opinion is 100% wrong. Because no matter if you get everybody in this room to vote me out, if you pick it with signs around my house and you tell me that I am a bigot and I'm this and I'm that and I'm everything because I say these are blue pants, your opinion of your masses still does not change the color of my pants. They're still blue. And mass opinion does not change or alter the word of God. It is still true. It is still forever settled in heaven. Aren't you thankful that we have a compass that we can guide our life by? Can you imagine if you had a GPS that changed every five seconds, a compass that north was reiterated or, or, or north was rediscovered every 15 seconds? You talk about being lost, and that's where our culture is at. They are lost in the woods because they are going by the compass of their own flesh and their own sinful feelings. But brothers and Sisters, uh, family matters because God has a blueprint that says there is one compass uh, where true north is always true north uh, and right is always right, wrong is always wrong, and there's still grace and there's still mercy. It's God's way. It's God's way. Now, think about this. Marriage is based on the fundamental biblical, it's based on fundamental biblical, historical Truths. The men and women are, are complementary. That's the first truth. The biological fact reproduction depends on a man and a woman. And the reality that children are best served with a mother and a father. I didn't have that in my own life. But we can agree that the biblical precedent is still right. That children are best served with a mother and a father. Can you make it without one? You can. I'm evidence of that. But they're best served with a mother and a father. Redefining marriage does not simply change the existing understanding of marriage. It rejects these absolute truths of God's word. Now, marriage is society's most effective means of ensuring the well-being of children. Uh, but, but in our culture, by 
encouraging the opposite. We're working against the way of God. God's way is marriage, monogamy, sexual exclusivity, and the surety of a couple married and committed in every way for life. It's the strength of a society, that home that I'm talking about. Or in society, hear me now, for millennia in our world, for centuries, order in society was the outflow of order in the home. Now the reverse is true. The disorder in society is the outflow of disorder in the home. What we are seeing in society is a reflection of the breakdown of the home. It's a reflection of the breakdown of the... The more traditional marriage and family are diminished in society, the more disorder there is in the home and the more disorder there is in society. The future of this nation, and I'm telling you the future of every nation in the world, depends on families and marriages. It depends. It's why what we say matters it's why that we it's it's why we vote for government policies it's why we vote and we know politicians are not the answer you've heard me say that 20 different ways they are not the answer but neither is sticking our head in the sand i'm not going to pick it on on in front of the supreme court necessarily but i am going to exercise the rights that are provided me by the country that i'm blessed to live in i'm going to exercise my right to make sure that our voice is heard that our Christian voice is heard, that our Judeo-Christian values are still heard, and that's what we ought to be doing as Christians. We ought to understand that anything that is an affront to the family and anything that is a front to marriage goes all the way back to the beginning of this book. And if they can unhook the underpinnings of marriage and family, as they have done, if they can continue to unhook the anchors of marriage and and family, everything else will drift in society. It starts here. Now, I got to hurry. Jesus spoke of the marriage union in an answer to a question on divorce in Matthew 19. And I'm not going to read all these verses there. They're in your notes there. Uh, Jesus spoke of the marriage union in an answer to the question on, uh, on marriage and divorce. And, and, and he reiterated that, that man was made male and woman was made female. And, and he goes on to talk about uh, divorce here. He talks about gender distinction. He talks about marriage in Matthew 19. He talks about divorce. He talks about the only uh, clause biblically for divorce is, is, is sexual immorality and, and the other spouse going into adultery or remarriage. He, he, he deals with the question of staying single in verses 10 through 11. And then he deals, and he deals with the question of staying single by choice or not by choice or someone who has become single because of circumstances in life or perhaps death or tragedy. Uh, he, he speaks of this. And this was obviously the case I said with Jesus, with John the Baptist, with Paul, with others. You can read more about that in 1 Corinthians. And then in Matthew 19 is where we also learn about the value of children. We learn about the value of children. So Jesus deals with all of these topics. It's an amazing chapter. You can study. It's all listed in your notes there. You can look at that and study that out later. Children, the Bible says, are the heritage of the Lord. Psalms 127 and verse 3, behold, children are the heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is the reward. So in, in the Bible, we learn that Everything that God has valuable, he, he puts into the life of the child, which is the outgrowth, which is the conception of the home, of a husband and wife married together. Now, as I said, God loves everyone. He loves those that are blessed in this room to come from a traditional home. And he loves the rest of us in this room that don't come from a traditional home. And the Bible says he sets all of us in his 
church. In fact, the Bible says even if you're all by yourself, Psalm 68 says he sets the solitary in families. God has a plan for everybody in this room. God has a plan for your family and you in his family. God has a blueprint for your life. Let's talk a little more about this. God's blueprint, the blueprint of scripture for all relationships in the church is in the Bible. Now, Paul used the family as a model to demonstrate how Timothy, who is his son in the gospel, was to interact with others in the church. Now, this is where we get to our text. There's some powerful concepts in these first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, rebuke not an elder and treat him as a father and to the younger men as brethren, elder women as mothers, and younger as sisters with all purity. So how does Timothy know how to treat fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters? Now, Paul doesn't explain in detail how each of those should be treated. But Paul trusts Timothy's knowledge of the family. Paul trusts Timothy's knowledge of the family that his knowledge of the family and, his, and of Bible history is one that he would know what treating a brother should look like, treating a sister should look like, treating a mother or a father should look like. Paul uses these four relationships in the family to describe not only natural family, but to describe the family of God. The family is the training ground for personal relationships. Now, he talks about brothers and sisters. Not every family has brothers and sisters. He talks about mothers and fathers. Not every family has mothers and fathers. The family is the training ground for all your personal relationships in life. This is why some struggle with dysfunction in other relationships because there was a lack of health in their family relationships. And that dysfunction carries from their family of origin into the other relationships they have. Uh, I know <laughs> firsthand what that struggle is like to reprogram, to reprogram your mind, to reprogram your relationships so that they more align with God's word. But learning to get along in the home is one of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn in life. The home is earth's highest heaven and it's also earth's hardest school. The home, when done right, can be the highest heaven. But how many know it can be the school of hard knocks, too? All in the home. It's where girls learn how to relate to members of the opposite sex by observing the behavior of their parents. No wonder we have so many broken boys and broken girls in society. Because they've watched... They've learned from a young age how unhealthy you can treat one another. Children learn relational skills by interacting with the family as well as the church. You learn to win. You learn to lose. You learn to give. You learn to take. We have a little saying in my family that I, I, often my kids probably sick and tired of me saying it, but it's the truth that you learn more when you lose than when you win. You learn more through a setback than a setup. You learn more about yourself and you learn more, you grow more, I feel like, when you, when you lose, when you have a setback, when you suffer. You learn to negotiate in a family. Now, I don't want to fast forward into something later in the month, but, but don't, you don't have to referee every fight. Now, I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess. I'm bad about this. I'm bad. And my nature is just to, like, jump into every fight. You know, um, but, but my wife is always there to help me have a little more sense than Luke Levine would normally have. And, and she says, no, just let him, let him go. Let him work it out. You know, I mean, they're not using baseball bats and switchblades, but, but, you know, let him go. Because you learn to negotiate in a family, right? That, that's a good thing. Now, now, family we know is under assault from everybody's trying to redefine what, what God defined. We, we know, as I said, marriage is intended to be between one man and, and one woman. We know the maker of marriage and the maker of family knows more about marriage and family than we do, right? 
gender distinction roles taught in the Bible. They're, they're taught as a principle as well as by nature and creation. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. I don't have time to go into great depth here uh, for the sake of time, but he, he, he talks about how some things are taught by principle and they are reinforced by the nature of, of creation. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, if you want to write that. And what's interesting about this passage, what's, what's astounding to me about this passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, outside of apostolic Pentecostal circles. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to preach brand religion here. I'm just saying, outside of oneness or apostolic Pentecostal circles in the world, uh, the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians 11 probably are the most ignored 16 verses in the Bible by the larger Christian community. But what's so strange about that is verses 17 through 34 about the Lord's Supper and communion are probably the most paid attention to set of verses in all Christianity. Maybe I'm simple, but you can't just kick out the first 16 verses because it's a little harder to grapple with than the last verses. You can't just lift one out and say, ah, we're going to allegorize that, and we're going to hypothetical that, and we're going to say that's just for them in Paul's day, but then this stuff we're going to apply lock, stock, and barrel. You can't say, I mean, it's in the same chapter. We're not even talking about two different books. And it's all in the same Bible, but the subject of authority and headship, which leads to gender distinction, is applied in, in this chapter. It's applied by the way men and women act. It's applied by the way women and men Looked. Uh, we, we follow this teaching, I'm telling you, we follow this teaching in 1 Corinthians 11, not because of church tradition, not because it's sanctuary tradition, not because it's some Pentecostal or apostolic church tradition, not because it's in some organizational mandate, because whether it was organizational mandate or, or tradition or not, I'm not going to do it if it's not in the Bible. And it's in the Bible. We do it because it's biblical. We stand by it and we teach it because it's in the Bible. Paul teaches us that when men and women step out of their roles, they violate nature and God's created order. God gave male and female both distinct physiology. He gave us distinct roles. How ludicrous is it that our world is trying to say those don't exist? Look around. They exist. They exist. First Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. I don't have time to go uh, to read all of this for time's sake, but I'm giving you the verses. I don't know that that verse is in your notes if you want to write it down. First Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. He says, judge for yourselves. Uh, he talks about the, the covering of a woman. He, he, he talks about uh, how it's nature teaches if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him, but a woman has a long hair, it's a glory to her, and her hair is given for her as a covering, her long, uncut hair given to her as a, a, a covering. And, and, and so the Bible teaches this design of God of, of roles and headship in the Bible as inescapable, inseparable from even creation. That's why when we say God created man, he created an owner's manual to go with him. The Bible. <laughs> and I'm saying mankind. But, but ladies, if you are having trouble figuring us out, that's a good place to start right there. You know, And you start with God said, hey, he can't be trusted alone. I got to get him some help. And there comes woman, right? Uh, so this idea of headship of God and then headship of the man and submission of the woman. And can I just, I'm gonna say some stuff that you might think are dirty words this month. Submission is not a dirty word. It's not. It's, it's really not. It's not whether it's a submission to authority or it's submission in the home. It, that's not a dirty word. It's a biblical word. It's a biblical concept. And I'm not talking about some kind of hero, he-man, like, yeah, she, she needs to submit to me. My wife won't submit to me. Well, maybe if you acted a little more like Christ, maybe if she saw a little more of her Savior in you, uh, it, she might find it a little easier to submit to that headship. In all right, sorry. We're not talking about marriage tonight because that's, that's for the marriage seminar at the end of the month. But, uh, 
There's practical demonstration of the distinction of gender roles. Paul says nature itself. He's not talking about trees and bees when he says nature itself. He's speaking of our created nature in the beginning. Male and female created he them. The author of all of creation is the one who also authored the manual of creation. We do good to pay attention to it. So Paul tells Timothy, let's get to this. Paul tells Timothy about fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters. He says, the blueprint in the Bible is that we are to treat everyone in the church the way we should treat family. Notice I said the way we should treat family, okay? So you may punch your brother if he says something you don't like, all right? But don't punch somebody in the church that says something you don't like. We'll haul you out, call the police, okay? Don't punch somebody in the church, all right? And you shouldn't be doing it at home either. Well, I'm not trying to, no, I am trying to meddle, actually. No, I'm really not trying to meddle. I'm just teaching the Bible. If it, if, if yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you go home and sort it out with Jesus. Thank you. God's blueprint is that older men are be in the church are to be treated as fathers. Now, I don't know how to apply this because I look around and we don't have any old men here. I mean, we don't have any old men here, Brother Bailey. We don't have any old men. We got a bunch of young men and a bunch of younger men, but I don't know if we have any old men, but I'm gonna go ahead and teach it because it's in the Bible, all right? First Timothy, sorry, I know the jokes are bad. Hopefully the lesson's better. Uh, First Timothy 5.1, the first part says, rebuke not an elder, entreat him as a father. Even though Timothy was a spiritual leader, he was cautioned that he did not address older men in the church that were older than him in the same way that he addressed his peers and those that were under him. So this is even aside from spiritual authority, God is charging us through the apostle Paul to Timothy that that we are to treat older men in the church. Timothy, who had the authority to preach, exhort, rebuke, reprove, Paul's saying there's a different way you're going to approach an elder than you are a young man. Does that make sense? I mean, that's pretty simple. Now, we should approach everyone with respect. That doesn't mean we just disrespect the young people. In fact, that ticks me off. Don't disrespect kids or young people, okay? They're adults in training. And I don't, you know, I got a good memory of some people who treated me really, really well, and maybe a few that didn't when I was younger. So uh, don't mistreat them. But what he's saying is, is, and sometimes older men may be wrong, and, and they need to be corrected. And older men need spiritual guidance too. That's reinforced by Paul's, by, by Paul's teaching. Excuse me. But I'm not going to approach Brother Bailey in the same way that I'm going to approach Gage. You understand? I'm going to entreat him as a father. He's, Paul's saying don't violate the natural respect that we should be showing our elders. We live in a culture that speaks disparagingly of older people, that they're dispensable, they're disposable, they're feeble, they're older, they're becoming obsolete, they're not as hip and as cool. Young people, hear me. Everybody, hear me. We value our elders at the sanctuary as much as we value our children at the sanctuary. That's God's design. The world says they get to a certain age, just, you know, put them out to pasture, just inject them with something. That is humanistic, secular, and satanic. God's way is that we honor and we respect our elders and our aged. Now, We know that Timothy's father wasn't even a believer. He was a Greek that was married to a Jew, and we learn this in Acts chapter 16. But Paul takes a look at Timothy, his son in the gospel, and he says, I want you to treat the elders in the church like you would treat a father, like you would treat an older man with honor, like you would treat your father with honor. Treat our elders with 
honor. Young people, hear me. Our elders may not listen to the same music. They may not like the same things. They may not dress the way that we dress. They may not be able to move like we move. But I challenge you, if you just take some time to sit down and have a conversation with them, they can tell you some crazy stories. And some of them are even true stories that they're going to tell you. <laughs> they, they got some... You can get some wisdom from our elders, and we need our elders. God's blueprint is that younger men are to be treated as brothers, so people closer to your age to be treated as brothers. And, and, and so he says, treat them as brethren. What about the younger men? Uh, now, there's some bad stories in the Bible of how brothers treated each other, Cain and Abel, kept cheating out Esau's birthright. Joseph threw his, you know, thrown in the pit by his brothers. Not like that. Not like that. Uh, those brothers argue and fight and, 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 and nitpick, but, but, but that's not how we treat. Timothy knew what Paul meant when he said, treat your brothers in the Lord like your natural brother. Uh, Cain, after he murdered his brother, asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? It was a dumb question. There is such thing as a dumb question. Somebody, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Lie. I've been asked lots of dumb questions before. And am I my brother's keeper was a dumb question. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You just murdered him, ignorant. <laughs> yeah, he is your. We are each other's responsibility. <laughs> Rob Rubinate, you're my responsibility. But you're not just my responsibility, you're LD's responsibility. And Dwayne and David and, and Don and Larry, you're all of our responsibility. You come over here. Brett Rowell is not just my responsibility because I'm the pastor. Jeff, he's your responsibility. And Paul and Anthony, he's your responsibility. Right. Carrie said, thank God to share the load. You know, no, I'm just kidding. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are responsible in the family of God for one another. That's what makes this family different because out there in culture, I've been in cities where somebody is getting attacked and people walk by. We cannot do that in the church. If somebody's getting run down, if somebody's getting mistreated, if, if somebody's losing out, if somebody's sick or suffering, we don't just walk by in the church. We are our brother's keeper. He says, let Love one another as brothers. First Peter, let brotherly love continue, Hebrews 13. And, and the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and, 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 and tying our friendship to his concept of being our friend is a really good thing to have in our spirit. That's how we ought to be friends with one another. He said older women are to be treated as mothers, the elder women as mothers. In other words, they're to be loved. They're to be and again, I don't know, I don't see any old women here, but I see some young ones and some younger ones. But mothers are to be loved and cared for. Proverbs 1.8 says, obey the law of your mother. <laughs> Children, obey the law of your mother. Listen, in other words, listen to your mother. Jesus said to John, son, behold your mother. John 19, 26. Jesus hanging on the cross and he says, John, take care of your mother. And, and, and from that hour, the disciple took his own mother home. He went to care for her. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he, he was about how someone's mother was going to be treated. Timothy, treat the elder women in the church as your Mother, I thank God for every elder woman in the church. Treat them as our mothers. Let's honor them. Not just honor our own biological mothers, but maybe if there's some elder women or some women in the church that don't have children, let's treat them as mothers too. Let's honor them as well. Maybe there's someone whose kids have moved off. Honor them as well. Maybe there's someone whose kids don't live near on Mother's Day. Honor them as well. Honor the older women as mothers. And Finally, God's blueprint is that younger women are to be treated as sisters. With, and he defines that, with all purity. The church, Timothy's church, our church, he said there's gonna be younger women and they ought to be treated as your sisters with all purity. You keep your relationship with them healthy as if they were your sister. It should be godly. It, the relationship with 
the young women in this church should be godly and pure, not perverted and weird. Okay? We do a little pastor in here. I don't, I don't like to see men hanging all over our young ladies. Okay? You may not mean anything by it, but it's just not a good practice, okay? Okay? With godly purity, okay? Treat them as you would want a stranger to treat your sister. I, I, I know that many times, in fact, we are for this. Boy and girl fall in love, and they marry, right? We're, we're, we're for that. We, we want that. But dating and courtship should be a relationship that is marked by purity, as Paul said, not by premarital sexual encounters. It's not God's way. It's not God's will. You're not one flesh until you're married. And then you're to keep that relationship pure as if she was your sister. Young men, when you date, or if you are dating, treat that girl as you would want some man to treat your sister. And if you're worth throwing water on, if you're on fire, you don't want some young man being pushy with your sister. You don't want some young man trying to convince your sister to let him have his way. Treat her like you would your sister with, and that goes back and forth from the girl to the guy as well. Treat one another with honor and with purity. Paul is telling Timothy, treat your family the way God says you should treat your family and then not just your family but treat the church family and we have this tradition that we call one another brother and sister and I don't hate it <laughs> because when, when, when that really started when that really began in church culture decades and decades ago it was in response to the whole world was against the church. And people were getting kicked out of their families for going to church. And people were getting put on the street for going to church. Been there. But this became family. And so it's not just some honorable title. I honor Brother Don Bailey. But it's not just some honorable title, Brother Bailey. But I'm, it, it, that was a recognition. Now it's just kind of habit. But but that was a recognition. That's my brother in Christ. I honor Dwayne Lindsay. But I don't just, that's just not some honor that, that I recognize. He is my brother in Christ. I honor Todd. He's not just Todd. He's my brother in Christ. He, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We, I, I'm here. I, I want us to be, let's stand again. I want us to be optimistic about the future of the church and the future of the family. But we cannot afford to be complacent. We cannot afford to take our hands off the wheel. There are those that would undermine and compromise and, and destroy the family. Their attacks on the family and the church are relentless. But we have to have the equal resolve that we are going to stand for what is right and what is righteous. And I'm praying that this month is a month of life this month is a month of healing. This month is a month of regeneration. This month is a month of family restoration. This month is a month where maybe you've been feeling under and God's gonna pick you up and give you strength. Maybe you need some direction. God's gonna pick you up and give you strength this month. Would you lift up your hands and your voice uh, and let's talk to Jesus for just a minute. Come on, all across this room.